You're listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast, where we interview entrepreneurs who have sold their companies and the advisors that help them. We elicit expert advice from exit planners, attorneys, merger and acquisition experts, accountants, business appraisers, and financial advisors, all with a goal of educating you about the sales process. Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started a sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. And now, here's your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition. Hello and welcome. It's Noah Rosenfarb from Freedom Business Advisors and host of the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast. So glad you're listening. I've got with me today my business partner, Chris Ream. Chris is a certified financial planner and also sold his software company. I thought he'd come on the call today to talk about continuity planning and uh, some of the research that we've been doing at our firm with business owners around issues between the owners, their employees, their integrating their estate and financial plans. So Chris, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. So why don't you start, you know, a lot of our listeners are thinking about selling their business and you sold your software business a while back. Why don't you tell me some of the lessons that you learned from that transaction? So I had a a software company that provided time billing and accounting to law firms. I had 300 law firms as clients throughout Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. And my dad used to say he was so proud of me because I was the only person he knew that made money off of the lawyers. (laughs) And in 2006, I like to say I was the victim of a hostile takeover because I was a dealer for the software. It meant I sold it, I did the data conversions, and I supported the clients, but I didn't own the software. And so I say the biggest lesson that I learned from selling that company was really two things. One is that the buyer knew a lot more about my business than I did. And so it was sort of an unequal uh, footing. And number two, and probably the biggest lesson is that I should have planned for the transfer for the exit from the business from day one. Yeah. And when you say you should have been planning, what are some of the things you think you might have done and how might it have impacted you? Well, I should have thought about how marketable the business would be one day and who the potential buyers were. I was young and I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, when they started their company, they they see the growth and they see an exciting future, but they don't really see the end. They don't see the end game. And they just think that as long as sales and revenues and growth continues to happen, that nothing's going to change and it'll go, you know, it'll go on forever. And what I should have realized was that I wasn't operating on my own time frame that some other people in that particular case uh, you know, were calling the shots. So when you sold your business, how did you end up becoming interested in helping owners with business continuity? I decided that I, I wanted to become a financial planner and I wanted to find a niche. And in right around that time frame, 2006, seven, there was a lot of buzz about the baby boomers all selling their, their companies and the $10 trillion of business transfer and uh, that got my attention because I felt like it was um, that I'd walked in their shoes, I'd made payroll, I'd you know I ran a business and I sold one. So I thought that it, I could see the this type of planning through their eyes a little bit. So I got involved with a couple of the organizations that provided training for professionals to become a specialist in exit planning. And what I quickly learned was that exit planning is, is something that everybody wanted, but it was nothing that they wanted now. Hey, Chris, yes, I would 
definitely need to do some exit planning. I'm really interested in that, but call me back in five years. And so this exit planning was important, but not urgent. And I just began to listen more carefully to what the owners were saying that I was talking to. And I realized that while exit wasn't on their mind, the possibility that they might die prematurely or become disabled was a bit more urgent. And I realized that you know, business continuity was an area that very few people were focused on exclusively. And I started taking to that and decided to make that uh, my, my specialty and my focus. So one of the things that we've done at Freedom Business Advisors, you know, through your efforts is interview a lot of business owners. And I know you've developed this list of six common issues that, you know, you've uncovered through these interviews that owners face around their continuity. So I'd like us to kind of cover them one at a time and maybe you could discuss how they manifest and what some of the solutions are. So the first one is that the owners don't have a will or they don't have a buy-sell agreement. Why don't you just, you know, kind of talk about what you see when you speak with owners around those issues? Sure. And actually, it goes back a little bit to that last question about why I decided to get involved with the business continuity. When I meet with an owner and I see they don't have a will or it hasn't been updated since the kids were born or that they have a partner without a buy-sell agreement, I realize that the reasons that they haven't done that are usually just procrastination and that it's something that they, where they, they put it off or if they've done it at all, it's it was done badly. And I just felt like that's where I could bring some value to to people by asking them the right questions and getting them to focus on, on what was important. And so I would say around half the time, and I've interviewed to date around, I think it's 45 entrepreneur business owners so far, that about half the time they'll admit that their will needs to be updated or that they don't have a proper continuity plan in place. And the other half of the time? Well, the other half of the time, at least they're saying that they that they recently updated their will. And if they do have a business continuity plan, I'm not taking that as, as it said, say value. I'm going to ask them a few more questions and make sure that they understand what their agreement says and that it says what they want it to say and that it's going to accomplish what they want it to. You and I have had some discussions around this issue that owners don't have wills and they don't have buy-sell agreements. And, you know, you've told me that one of the reasons is that owners aren't engaged in the conversation. So why don't you just describe to our audience how you are able to engage owners in this conversation so that they can actually sign the documents that the lawyers draft and they don't sit on the lawyer's desk for, you know, sometimes years at a time. I believe that's really the key is that most advisors are on their own agenda. So the accountant wants the, his client to update the valuation of the business. The life insurance guy wants to sell a policy to fund the agreement. The lawyer says we should redo your your operating agreement. You know, even the dentist is calling and say, "Hey, no, it's time to come in and get your teeth cleaned." And, you know, it's um it's the old analogy that people don't go to the hardware store to buy a and buy a drill because they want a drill. They go to the hardware store and buy a drill because they want a hole in the wall. And I think that as advisors, as a whole professional community, we lose that focus. I try to focus on what do they have in place and what do they want it to happen if, if this trigger event or this event happens. And when they realize that, oh, yeah, that's you've asked some questions that I really haven't thought about in a while, and that's really something that I need to focus on, that's very motivating. Also, when they understand it. So number one, they have to be on their agenda, not your agenda. And two, they have to understand their options. You know, I like to say that when an advisor says, asks a question, 
and the owner says, I don't know, what does everybody else do? That's not permission to hold court and start telling them what they should do. And I think a lot of us fall into that trap and we do that and we like to show how smart we are and how much we know and we start getting very technical and running off at the mouth. When in reality is that if they say, I don't know, what does everybody else do? We need to say, well, here are the options. There's two sides to this coin. Here's the good side of this. Here's the bad side of this. Do you have any questions? Do you want to do something in between A and B? And and when the owners are clear on their goals and they understand their options, then I think it's a matter of you better get it done quickly or get out of their way because they're going to get it done. So the second thing you've uncovered is that owners don't have a plan for the continuity of business operations. I think that's you know a, a great part of the value that you're delivering to clients. So why don't you describe what that continuity of operations looks like and why maybe you could go back to why the owners don't have that. Yeah, thanks. So in the cases where they do have a will and or buy-sell agreement, they've planned for the continuity of ownership. They haven't many times thought about the continuity of operation. And that just means that, Noah, you're the you know, you're the founder of this business and a lot of the very important business functions are done by you, if you'll allow me to role play with you for a minute. So Noah, had you died last weekend, what are the contributions that you are providing to this company that would have to be replaced if you're not here? What would be happening here on Monday morning, this past Monday, if you had died last weekend? And they realized that the, the continuity of the operations is something that hasn't been planned for. So essentially, it's who would make executive decisions, who would make financial decisions, who would be responsible for business development, sales and marketing, who would be responsible for administration and or personnel, human resources. Why do you think that deficit exists in the planning community? That's a great question. I think it's because nobody's getting paid to do that. You know, life insurance guys get paid by the insurance carrier when they sell a policy to fund a buy-sell agreement. But, well, I almost said you don't need life insurance to fund a continuity of operations plan, and that's not true. We can get to that in a minute. But I think it's just ignorance. And no one's really doing comprehensive planning. No one is, as I like to say, the quarterback coach who's up in the skybox and can see the whole field and is not the quarterback because owners are clearly the quarterback. They want to be in control. They want to call the shots, but they they very much appreciate somebody who can uh, radio plays into their ear and give them options. And I just think that people don't think deep enough about the continuity of operations when they're helping somebody put together a NOAA plan. And who's going to do that? Is it going to be your account? Is it going to be your banker? Is it going to be your financial planner? It might be an investment banker type. I recently got a case that I'm working on from the bonding insurance agent because the bonding agency insisted that they have um, a business continuity in uh, plan in place before they would renew their or increase their, their bond limit. So I so think it's a lack me, of, uh, of of just awareness and that no one's really so clearly thought it through. What are some of the key points to that continuity plan? You mentioned having an individual allocated, but then you also talked about some life insurance. And I know in a lot of the plans that you implement, there are uh, compensation structures in place for the management team members that stick around. So maybe you could just talk specifically about one of those strategies. Well, this is the strategy that I'll give John Brown credit from um, Business Enterprise Institute because he's the first person that I heard speak about this. 
and it's it's such a great idea, and it's something that every time I've presented it, the owner has has adopted it. And why didn't I think of that? And it's basically this. And let's role play again. Noah, you died last weekend. And first of all, that's going to spook the herd. Everybody here, your key employees, or even beyond your key employees, but all your important employees are going to think, oh my goodness, Noah's gone. You know, the business is going to suffer. I better start looking for a new job. So one of the components of a continuity plan that we put in place is a stay bonus, which is, again, the idea that um, I think John Brown uh, has really written and spoke about more than anybody else. And here's how it works. You make a list of your most important employees and you uh, put it in a spreadsheet and you list their salaries. And then you decide that you want to give them, let's say, a 50% bonus if they stay for the next 18 months. It's very important to communicate this uh, to the rank and file employees that this is not a guarantee of employment. But if something happens to Noah, we're going to implement a stay bonus where every quarter, as long as you're still here, you're going to get a bonus equal to, let's say, 50% of your salary. And the owner says, well, that sounds great. I understand the importance of that because if my people leave, you know, contracts might not get fulfilled, orders might not ship. The value of the business is going to suffer if the owner dies. And just think if the if the operations of the business suffer too, then what's the chance that that business is going to survive? It's very little. But when the owner sees that to do a stay bonus for their all, all their important employees, it's going to cost you know a million dollars over the next eighteen months. They're like, well, how am I going to fund this? So that's when you put a life insurance proposal in front of them and give them some options that you know this could be a temporary problem. We only need to buy a ten-year term policy on on you, and you know for five thousand dollars a year, we can address this problem. So let's move on to the third common issue, which is that the owners are well, before we leave that before we leave that we should I'm sorry to interrupt you we should also hit that there's other financial contributions that the owners make into the company that we ought to include in the insurance planning, and that would be any kind of uh, lease guarantees, whether it's for office space or equipment, any kind of obviously guarantees on lines of credit. Or well, many times the owner, you know, will self-finance the payroll account by transferring money back and forth. And I say when the owner's gone, those financial resources go away, and that that should, that's part of business operations that needs to be planned for too. Yeah, I was going to mention the third thing you have is that the owners aren't leaving instructions behind for the next owner, and you know they're not telling them whether they should sell, whether they should go acquire businesses, whether they should hold the company. So. What's, so let me what's open the window. The yeah, I can open the window to the interviews that I'm having with these people, and this real, will really illustrate exactly what the answer to your question. I say, Noah, do you have a will? And they yeah. would say, Oh yeah. Well, who stands to inherit your company right now? My wife. Okay. What should she do with it? Should she, do you, would you want her to continue to own it and run it, or should she start to package it for sale? Well, you know, if it happened yesterday, then I'd want her to sell it. But if my kids are in college, maybe she could hold it and wait to see if one of them want to come in. So it's a great question that gets them to realize, wow, I haven't thought of this. And that's the last thing I want to do is to leave my wife in that situation. Obviously, when she's grieving the loss of my, you know, grieving my death, I would want to put her in the position of having to make all these decisions. So that's the best way of of motivating the owner to realize that they need to uh, do a little bit of planning in this area. And so what do you see as the kind of option set for instructions to leave behind? Is it as simple as, you know, hold, sell, 
or kind of option C, which I'm not sure what it might be? Well, it there aren't a lot of options, especially in the smaller companies. As many of our listeners will know that if you're a, a larger company, there are trusts trust banks that can come in and be in charge of a business and own a business and, and run a board of directors and so forth. But on the on the in the smaller businesses, you know, there aren't a lot of options. I think it very much this is a question that, that sort of ties the whole thing together. You died last weekend and your wife just inherited your business. What should she do with it? Should she continue to run it? You know, or should she sell it? Well, the family depends on the cash flow from this business. It's not only the the largest asset that we uh, in part of our state, but we we depend on this cash flow to support our lifestyle and pay for our kids to go to college and everything else. And so it ties everything together because it it makes it realizes how important the continuity of operations plan is. But it also ties together what the transfer plan ultimately one day will be. If this is a business that you you would like to see your your children or other family members move into one day, or if it's something that you want to be a passive owner and you know and enjoy the cash flow of this business for a long time and have that you know basically supplement or pay for your retirement. Uh, it really does tie together the whole continuity. You know how you're going to grow, protect, grow, and ultimately transfer your business when you start to get into a question like that. Well, let's move into number four, because I think it, it, it kind of ties it all together as well, which is that owners don't integrate their equity in their company into their financial and estate plan. Tell me what you're seeing there, because I guess it's it's kind of putting a bunch of these pieces together. Yep. And this is probably, you know, we listed these uh, common issues that come up in my interviews. I think this one is probably the most important, and that is that owners and even the advisors to owners don't think about how the equity value of the equity of somebody's business and even the cash flows from somebody's business, how does that integrate into their their overall financial and estate plan? I think it's also because they don't have that quarterback coach overseeing most trusted advisor that's that's looking at all things. You know, if you think about the stereotypical business owner's got a ten million dollar you know, manufacturing business, or he runs 60 people on a commercial painting crew or whatever it is, they get approached by a lot of advisors and their plans are kind of piecemeal. I've described it before. They've got a junk drawer full of investments and insurances and buy-sell agreements and wills and promise this guy stock in the company or promise the CFO a 10% bonus if he ever sells. But it's really all over the place. And it's so important that even something as basic as life insurance on a family, you know, on a breadwinner that owns the company as well, that, that that all integrates together with their estate plan. Just having beneficiary designations that make sense and that, that flow through with the other parts of the estate plan on the simplest level. And on the, in the more complex cases, you know, with buy-sell agreements and with stock changing hands and with complicated goals, even like intergenerational transfers that come into play, it has to integrate with their financial and with their estate plan. And so many advisors miss that. Yeah, one of the things that you know we've discussed in our company is that typical wealth managers are focused on portfolios of stocks and bonds and alternative investments that are outside of the equity that the owner has in the company because that's how they get paid. And then yep. the investment bankers are focused on, you know, helping the owner transfer their company when it's time for them to exit because that's how they get paid. But the, you know, the estate planner 
they're focused on avoiding estate taxes in most instances and making sure that they avoid probate if that's a goal of the of the owner, but not necessarily, again, focused on how each of these pieces is integrating. So who's the right person to be this quarterback coach? Clearly, you know, we're focused on it in, in Freedom Business Advisors, but for those advisors that are listening to the call, how could they go about helping their clients integrate their equity into their financial and estate plan? Well, I think it comes as a just as a conscious decision that, you know, I am going to be that person to my business owner clients. And then I want to make that my entire professional focus. Because I think it's hard to not to do that. There's so much to keep up with and so much to, you know, to be on, on top of. And it's hard enough to have these conversations with donors and with prospects and clients to keep them moving forward in implementing these planning and, and executing these plans. If you're trying to do a, a, a lot of other things, I think it's very difficult. But you made me think of one other thing, and that is I think the owner oftentimes undervalues what their company is worth, and they don't even think about how it's going to affect you know, their estate or financial plan, especially their estate plan. They tend to drastically undervalue the business and when, it, when the attorney is calculating potential exposure to estate taxes. However, and almost ironically or, or the opposite, way of thinking is so many of these owners are counting on the business to fund their retirement. How are you going to retire? Well, I'll sell the business one day. And it's um so they have these sort of broad strokes but none of the of the important uh, plan is is painted in between them. Yeah. Let's talk about two more of the common issues that you found. One is that insurance policies that owners own, they're not managed, they're not monitored, they might be inappropriate. Talk about that. So businesses and business owners buy life insurance to um, facilitate what we've been talking about, to facilitate the transfer of their ownership or in in some cases the the continuity of their operations. And so many times it's really more than just the insurance also. It's really the three elements of a buy-sell agreement that have to work together to make it to be successful. And the first is the agreement itself has to be correct. The second thing would be the valuation of the business. And then the third thing would be how are you going to fund it? And so many times people buy buy life insurance. We form a business. Let's do a buy-sell. Okay. How much is it worth? Million dollars. Okay. So we'll each buy a half a million dollar policy. If I die, you'll get the money. And if I and if you die, I'll get the money. Okay. Done. It's taken care of. So time goes by. The business grows. They haven't addressed any of the other potential triggers you know, that they might want to address in a buy-sell agreement, like what if one of the partners just decides they don't want to do this anymore? What if one of the partners is disabled and can't come to work on a daily basis? What if the one of the partners gets divorced and the other side wants, you know, wants half of the business value? There's tons of things that, that they don't address. But even more common and possibly more damaging is the value the company has gone up and they haven't you know, within the buy-sell agreement, they say, well, every year we will reassess and every year we'll agree what the value of the company will be. And of course, they never do. And then the third thing is, back to the point of your question, that the insurance policies aren't managed. So they buy maybe enough insurance for the beginning what the company is worth, but as the company grows in value, they haven't increased the amount of the insurance and they may or may not be insurable at this point. And they often buy ter- term insurance to fund the policy because, hey, we're going to sell this company before 20 years, so let's just buy some term insurance and we'll 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 forget about it. And um, that may not be appropriate. 
yeah, in some, they may not, it may be the least expensive way to fund it, but it's many times not the most financially savvy and, or smart way to fund a buy-sell agreement. Now, that's probably the subject of another call if you want to get into you know, the intricacies of advanced buy-sell planning. Yeah, maybe we will do that. So how about the sixth one, which is business value isn't monitored like their other investments? So, you know, most owners, they get their portfolio statements. Some of them are logging on every day to see how the market's doing. They, you know, the first question is, you know, is the market up, the market's down. But yet, when it comes to business value, they, they don't monitor how much their business is worth. They monitor their cash flow, but not value. And we just had Michael Carter on as a guest. He's the owner of Biz Equity. And, you know, we're an avid user of that software because for, you know, a couple hundred dollars, you can get a valuation done. There's really no more excuses, right? Correct. So we've all had friends that worked for fast-growing public companies, and to your point, they, they glance at their iPhone during lunch to see uh, how much their stock options have gone up you know, since they sat down that day. And, but yet, the owner of a closely held or a family business, they don't really think about what have they done this today, this week, this month, this quarter, this year to increase the value of their oftentimes most valuable asset. And I think it's just a bit of the entrepreneur mentality, you know, pay me now. If when you come home from work, I know when I come home from work, my wife says, how much money for me today? You know, she doesn't say, did we increase the value of our stock in the family business? And that's just a, it's a, it's a difficult one because it's, a, it's very difficult and oftentimes expensive to educate a marketplace and to get people thinking about value, you know, in public companies, it's sort of a given that they have to report, you know, every 90 days. And in CEOs of public companies, that's how they're evaluated and that's how they're compensated and that's why they're fired is when they don't grow shareholder value. And I think it's part of our job to educate entrepreneurs that they should be thinking the same way about the equity in their company. Well, this is all great stuff. And, uh, you know, I think we could talk for probably a few hours more on a lot of these issues each individually. But maybe let's just back it up a little and have you describe why you think owners should be spending time on all this stuff? Well, it's, I think it's obvious if anyone got this far into, the, into this interview, it's extremely valuable, the equity that, that people have in these businesses, because it's so important to the family, because it's so important to the economy of the, of the world, these jobs and these cash flows, not to mention the, the growth of the net worth of the owner. So if they don't spend time on continuity planning on how to protect the value of their company, it could evaporate overnight. And so many, I've heard uh, or read many um, authors that say any small business can be can go out of out of business. We're one phone call from oblivion. Well, it's, it's so true with um, with the continuity planning of you know a key employee leaving. Or, or the death of a key person, or the premature death of the owner, obviously, that all this economic value that they've worked so long and hard to build up can go away overnight. And it's a tragedy because with a little bit of planning, it doesn't have to. So with all that said, you know, get back to how advisors can be motivating their owner clients and how owners themselves can become motivated to complete the plans. And I really think that this is the key to the kingdom or the way that I'm helping to save the world. And that is every advisor knows, every investment advisor, every insurance advisor knows that there are untapped hundreds, thousands of business owners that need this type of planning, but they're inaccessible. They don't come to chamber of commerce events. How do you meet these people? You know, the professionals that already serve them aren't 
all, aren't always comfortable making introductions or referrals. They don't, half of these guys don't even go to the country club because they're too busy working. And so what's most compelling is that if we change the focus about this type of planning by not telling them what they have to do or what they should be doing, but by instead asking them questions in like an interview format, then it becomes their idea and not your idea. And so, as I said before, when they get clear on what they want to do, you better be ready to help them get it done because they're going to get it done. When they understand it and they're engaged, they, they become very, very motivated to complete these plans. Yeah, great. Well said. So what else do you, would you like to share with our listeners before we end today's call? I think that, that there is a terrific need for collaboration between, especially between financial planners and attorneys and accountants, and then also the other other advisors that uh, that. And you asked also who's going to take responsibility for this. I think if if you, the advisor, have a trusted relationship with the business owner, and you're not asking these questions, how are you going to face that widow one day when they when she asks you, you know, what's in place? What have you done, you know, for my husband? Where where are we now? What are we looking at? It's um. I personally had two clients die that were had proposals on their desks for this type of planning. And I think about that every morning when I wake up and I use that as a motivation against the, the slings and the arrows that, that you face in the marketplace that these people need us to motivate them to do this planning. And if we don't do it, nobody nobody is. They're not going to do it themselves. They're not going to Google search and put these plans together on their own. So, Chris, if anyone in our audience would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Well, I still have a telephone. It's uh, I'll give out my number. It's 954-239-7344 is my direct dial. My email is chris at freedomadv.com, as in Freedom Advisors, C-H-R-I-S at Freedom ADV. And I think a lot of people are very comfortable reaching out through the LinkedIn today. So if you go on LinkedIn and you search for my name, C-H-R-I-S-R-O-E-H-M. I'm pretty easy to find because that's a funny way to spell Reem. So I, I should come right up on the LinkedIn and I welcome anybody who wants to connect uh, that way too. Great. Well, my uh, partner, Chris Reem, thanks so much for joining us today. To all our listeners, I hope you enjoyed the interview. Don't forget to share your feedback with me. Uh, put it up on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast. Share it with a friend. We look forward to always uh, having you on and on the calls to listen in and to share with us your feedback. If you have any guests that you'd like us to interview for the show, don't hesitate to reach out and recommend them. And we hope you join us again. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast. Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started the sales process, or are post-deal, We aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. If you have any questions about today's podcast, you can contact your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition at 855-540-0400. Please be sure to rate us on iTunes and give us your feedback. Until next time, this is the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast. (laughs) 